Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them uh, to Nehemiah chapter 6. And uh, we're going to try to cover 6 and 7 today. Uh, we're going to try. Try be the key word there. I've, what I'm doing today is I've actually got like seven or eight different sermons going on here because there's just that much there in Nehemiah chapter 6. But like, I'm afraid that some of our kids will only think that Ezra and Nehemiah are the only books in the Bible if I don't go a little faster. So I would like to finish before they all graduate high school. And so what I'm trying to do is go faster, trying to push through this. So some of you guys like sermons like this a lot better uh, because I think you like to see me suffer. Uh, and uh, what I'm doing is I, I don't really have a lot of notes. I just have like little paragraphs for each one of these that really should be a full sermon where I could like lay it out and use like, you know, good words and gentleness and kindness and prove my point to you. But I don't have time to prove my point to you, really. So I'm just going to say stuff. And generally, that's when my wife gets very nervous uh, because you never really know what's going to happen when I just start saying stuff. So please don't hold anything against me. And if you're the type of person that gets offended very easily, this is going to be rough on you. This is going to be a tough message uh, because what we're seeing in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6 is Nehemiah is bold. He is courageous uh, in a world that is hostile towards his faith. And friends, what you need to know about the world that you and I find ourselves living in is it is a world that is hostile towards our faith, and it's growing in its hostility. So if what I'm saying today makes you uncomfortable, you're really going to be uncomfortable when uh, this kind of hostile world that has already kind of started in the West makes its way here to northwest Oklahoma, and it will make its way here to northwest Oklahoma. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. Now, in other words, what he's saying is he's saying courage is at the base of all other virtues. If you do not have courage, students, you will not be a virtuous person because in a world that hates God, it's a world that begins to hate uh, all of the virtues that God says are good things. And so if you're not courageous enough to stand up at school, and if you're not courageous enough, grown men and grown women, to stand up at work and say what is true, even when the world is saying, that's not true, that's a lie, and, and we're going to take your job away if you don't agree with us, if you're not willing to do that, then you're not going to be able to follow Jesus at all. We must have courage like Nehemiah has courage. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all of chapter 6 and the first five verses of chapter uh, 7, because uh, the rest is a bunch of names, and I don't really want to mess up a lot of names. So you can read those in your own time if you want to. But I'm going to read chapter 6. As I do, just listen, and you'll probably begin to see why, oh man, there's a lot of good points in here. I can see why Blake could have several different sermons. But I want to read the text to you, and then when I'm actually preaching, I'll just say this verse and that verse to save us some time. Uh, so I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray. Chapter 6. Hope you have your Bible in front of you. If not, grab the one that we have for you. Nehemiah chapter 6. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, that's what we all say, boo, because these are the bad guys. They keep showing up, and they're just they're terrible people. Geshem the Arab, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors in the city gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. Verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing an important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal. It's like a needy girlfriend. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, answer my messages. Hey, what are you doing? That wasn't in my notes. See, this is why. It's good that I have notes. Okay, sorry. And I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me this same message a fifth time by Isaiah, who had an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees. <laughs> Geshem agrees. Who's that? I don't know, but he agrees. That you and the Jews plan to rebel. 
This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10, I went to the house of Shemaiah. This is supposed to be a good guy, but we're going to find out he's not. He's a, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Shemaiah, son of Delilah, son of Metabila, who was restricted to his house. He said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. Doesn't that sound like a nice thing? Come on, Nehemiah, I'm trying to save you. But Nehemiah reads his Bible so he knows he's not allowed to go into the temple because he's not a priest. This is a trick. Verse 11, but I said, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated. Do as he suggested, sin and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat for what they have done. And also the prophetess Nodiah and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. Verse 15. The wall was completed in 52 days. And we all go, yay! And on the 25th day of the month of Elul, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence. For they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Verse 17. During those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, since he was a son-in-law of Shekiah, son of Era. And his son Jebaniah had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Barakiah. I'll just sum up verse 18. Don't marry a loser. That's what happened there. These people married the wrong people, and then they had these commitments, and it caused them to not fear God. So if you're already married to a loser, I'm sorry, you're going to stay married. But if you're not married yet, and you're looking for a husband or a wife, don't marry a loser. That's what the Bible says, kind of. Verse 19, these nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me. Oh, he's really a great guy, Nehemiah. I mean, really, if you get to know him, he's a good guy. No, he's not. And they reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Tobiah's not a good guy. Verse, or chapter 7, verse 1, when the walls had been rebuilt, I had the doors installed, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. Then I put my brother Hananiah in charge of Jerusalem, along with Hananiah. How many of you guys know if you're putting your brother, your little brother in charge of something, you probably want some help with him? I know for me, all my little brothers, I love them to death. I'm not putting them in charge of a city by themselves. And uh, Nehemiah's not doing that either. So he puts his brother in charge, but then he also has this other guy, Hananiah, whose name is a very fun name to say, in charge of Jerusalem, along with Hananiah, a commander of the fortress, because, look at this, this is important, because he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I'm going to stop there. You can read the rest on your own time. But what we see in this chapter is Nehemiah is very shrewd. That's a word we don't use very often anymore, but we should. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, he said, I want you to be innocent as doves and shrewd as snakes. Shrewd is somebody who's not naive. They're not gullible. They have their eyes open. They're, they're looking around and they're making good judgments about things. We must be shrewd people like Nehemiah. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll try to make sense of this. Father God, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for your word and how rich it is. God, I am confronted with this week in and week out. I cannot possibly say all that needs to be said. Lord, the only thing I hope that I can do is that I would give your people a hunger to study this word for themselves. God, you tell us that your word is like bread. God, we cannot survive if we do not eat of it, if we do not partake in it. 
So God, I pray that today this would stir a hunger in your people to be people of the book, people of truth, people who will stand strong even when the world is trying everything it can to get them to fall down. Lord, help us to remain faithful. Lord, help us to remain people who fear you above fearing men. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. All right, in verse 1, we saw that the enemies of Nehemiah realized time is running out. And when enemies realize time is running out, you know what it's time for? It's time for a Hail Mary. they got to do everything they can to get this thing to stop. The wall is complete, and the only thing that was lacking is the doors. Now, in verses 2 through 4, we see the first attempt to stop the work. They call Nehemiah to have a meeting to have discussions. Now, what I find interesting is, did you see where they were planning on having the discussions? They, they were literally planning on having these discussions in the land of oh no. How more obvious can it be? I'm not going to the land of, oh, no, because you plan to harm me. This is part of what it means to be shrewd. You see the obvious and you call what is obvious, obvious. Uh, There's an old comedian. uh, I think he's probably still a comedian. But Bill Ingvall, he's a redneck comedian, which is kind of, you know, my intelligence level when I come to comedians. And uh, he has this bit that he does. It's his most famous bit. It's, here's your sign. And uh, basically he says... (laughs) Sometimes you run across people that are so stupid that you just want to give them a sign that says, I'm stupid. And uh, so he'll tell these stories about people who ask obvious questions. Like, for example, one of them is, uh, you know, he was on a plane one time and it hit a deer. And uh, he told his wife, my plane hit a deer. And his wife said, oh, my gosh, were you on the ground? And uh, he said, no, Santa Claus was on an early run. Here's your sign. You know, it's, it's, it's obvious stuff. Well, Friends, what you need to know as you look at the Western culture, this isn't the culture of the whole world. I don't think the whole world is melting down. There are some places that we probably would look down upon that are actually trying to follow Jesus. In fact, if you want to look at something that's kind of interesting, you should look up the uh, Constitution of Zambia. And you'll see that it's actually pretty amazing what God is doing there and what God is doing in China and some other places, uh, at least in the underground. But in the United States and in the West, we are in the land of, oh, no, like we're there, you know, uh, it, and we are shielded from it because we're here in northwest Oklahoma. First off, we're in Oklahoma, so like nobody even cares about us for a long time anyways. Uh, but then not only that, we're on this like little island in northwest Oklahoma. So everything takes about five years to get here, like all the fashion, uh, you know, even that it's like, you know, people in the big cities will start wearing something. And then five years later, we start wearing it. But we're just we're a little behind on everything, but it always ends up coming here. And as we look at the culture, we look at the people in California, and we look at the people in Colorado, and we think, those people are nuts. But what you don't know is that we're just a little less nuts. And we're catching up to them at a rapid, rapid rate. We are in the land of, oh, no. You say, Blake, how do you know? Well, it's pretty obvious when our culture has Satan as the headliner for the Grammys. You know, it's like they're not even trying to hide it anymore. We have a grown man pretending to be a woman dressing up as Satan with other grown men pretending to be women dancing around like they're demons. I don't know. Maybe we're in the land of, oh, no. What do you guys think? Culture is not for us anymore. There's this guy uh, named Aaron Wren. Uh, He's he's a thinker uh, on Christian things. He's a Christian philosopher. And he talks a lot about how our world uh, in the West has really shifted. Uh, There was a time in which he would say that we had a positive world. In other words, uh, there was a time in which it was a good thing to be a Christian. That didn't mean that everything was perfect or that everybody really was a Christian. There's a lot of hypocrites in a positive world. All it means is, is that everybody kind of got their morality from the scriptures. Like we define marriage based upon what the Bible said. We, de- we define right and wrong basically by what the Bible said. And if you want to be a politician, you had to be not just somebody who said you were a Christian, but you actually had to show up at church and pretend to be there and listening to the pastor. You know, th- that was the only way that you found success in this world because it was a positive world. 
But then he says in the 60s and the 70s, we moved into the neutral world, where it kind of became this idea of, you know, if you're a Christian, that's good for you, but it's not for everyone. You know, we began to question the kind of uh, morality that comes from the Bible. We began to wonder, well, is this really right or is this really right? And, you know, maybe having drugs and, and all these certain things, maybe they're not so bad. And maybe you live your life and I'll live mine. And the politicians still had to claim to be a Christian, but they didn't actually have to show up to the church building anymore. And, and the term Christian kind of got thrown around loosely. And then, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, and especially now as it speeds up, he says we've, we've moved into what is the negative world. It's increasingly becoming seen as a negative thing to be a Christian. Like you can still call yourself a Christian and be a politician, but you can't actually believe anything the Bible says. You know, and I don't care about politics. Really, I don't. Like I, whether you're Republican or Democrat, I kind of agree with the saying uh, that, that both parties are kind of like Coke and Pepsi. You might like the taste of one better, but they're both going to rot your teeth out eventually. Uh, I completely agree with that statement. I, just, I think that they're, one's just maybe a little slower behind the other, but they're both on a pathway to hell, and it's greased a lot really fast. But what I like about politics is it shows, it reveals the heart of the nation. Because uh, we're not going to put politicians in office if they are totally against the things that we want. If they're totally against the things we want as a nation, they won't make it. For instance, if a politician runs on the idea of you know, no coffee for anyone anymore, there's going to be a revolt. Nobody's going to vote for that. Why? Because we live on coffee. We are, we are people who worship coffee, and I am one of them. Um, it's just, it's, it reveals the heart of the nation. But uh, what we see is uh, these politicians are kind of chameleons. They kind of go with whatever. Uh, but what have we seen in politicians? Well, in 2012... Uh, President Obama, who's like probably not the person you think of when you think of uh, conservative Christian values, whatever your politics are, he would not even admit or not even say or come out and say that marriage could be between a man and a man. This is Obama. Ten years later, now we are so far past that definition that we're talking about whether you can identify as a man or a woman, that you can pretend to be a girl when you're really a boy. Uh, when you think about how fast this world is changing... It's very clear to me that we're in the negative world. It's the land of oh no. Now that's nothing to get super upset about because we trust in God. Amen? Amen? But we must know that they plan to harm us. That they are not on our side. You need your eyes open to this world. The shows that your children are watching are not going to be pro-Christian. You watch any kind of show, what is it going to tell you? Is it going to, is it going to make the Christian be the hero? No, it's, it's the bigot. You know, it's the person who's an idiot. The person who, we can't believe he believes this thing. How terrible of a person is he? That's what you're going to find. Now, I'm not telling you to bury your head in the sand and to walk away from the world. That's not what we're supposed to do. What I am telling you is to have your eyes open. Sit down with your children, watch these shows with your children, and talk to them about what is wrong with what these shows are presenting as truth. Don't try to avoid it. If your child is 17 and still can't watch a movie with a bad word in it, you're probably not going to make them a very shrewd person. They need shrewdness. They need to be able to identify right from wrong and why right is right and why wrong is wrong. And that's exactly what we see Nehemiah has. He is he's shrewd in this because he knows where he is. And we also must know where we are. Now that's uh, verses 1 through 4. If I haven't offended you yet, let's go on to verses 5 through 9, uh, which could be a whole nother sermon. In verses 5 through 9, they raise the stakes, the bad guys. They raise their stakes and try to intimidate Nehemiah by starting rumors. They claim that he wants to be the king. Nehemiah never said that, but they claim it. You know, it's he said, she said, ooh, Nehemiah wants to be the king. They're like toddlers. But this is, this is what you have to do when the truth isn't on your side. You have to just keep saying the lie louder and louder and be persistent with the lie. That's the only way you have it. You must understand that we are not actually battling with uh, flesh. Like when I talk about politicians or I talk about people in California, 
Californians, a lot of them are nuts. God bless them. I'm not actually talking about them, though. I'm talking about the, the culture that they find themselves in because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that it is actually Satan who is the leader of the power of the air. That we're not actually fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against these spiritual principalities. There are these things that are going on. And what do we know about Satan? He is the father of lies, which means that is all they can do is lie. And their only tactic is to lie more and to lie louder and to yell at you when you don't agree with their lie. That is all that this world has to offer. A boy can be a girl. We all laugh. A boy can be a girl. We all laugh. A boy can be a girl. Okay, don't get so mad. A boy can be a girl. And then all of a sudden, we've all changed our mind. We said, okay, maybe a boy can be a girl. To the point now where I talked to, to a, a school counselor who told me they had a kid show up to school with white dots on her face because she identified as a deer that day. And did the school send her home? No. Why? Because the world's yelling. And if you don't get in line with what we're saying, you are going to be outed. This is, this is something that we have to be aware of as Christians. We have to keep our mind open. That just because somebody says a lie over and over, louder and louder, it doesn't mean that it is true. I, I saw this picture. Uh, Christy, you put this picture on the screen. I could not believe I saw this. I saw this on Twitter uh, this week. You can't read it probably because it's so small. But what it says is, doesn't that look like a guy who's just got a lot of mental health issues? Um, God bless him. Uh, it says, Arkansas woman arrested for making bomb threats against Mississippi College Town. Now, if I had a four-year-old up here, they could tell me the problem with that sentence. That is not a woman. And yet, what do we call it? We call it a woman. Why? Because that's what culture says. Now, now friends, you, you might think, well, Blake, this is offensive. I mean, I feel uncomfortable with you saying these things. Trust me, I'm the one up here with a microphone. Who do you think they're going to come after first? Uh, I, I, I understand you're uncomfortable just hearing me say these things because that's the way the world is. But if you're uncomfortable hearing me say these things... What are you going to do when this world comes after you and your job? What are you going to do when they make you sign a, a piece of paper saying you must agree with our uh, equality and tolerance policy, although it's not tolerant at all, or else we will cancel your whole job? You know, there's an NHL player. Uh, I, don't, I can't pronounce his name. He's Russian. I don't watch the NHL. I do watch NASCAR, which today is Daytona 500, uh, which is my favorite holiday. Not got anything to do with anything. But um, this... <laughs> This NHL player, uh, they were having a pride night where they were forcing all the players to wear a pride jersey. Now, if you were to have a, you know, a Christian night where you forced them all to wear a cross, or if you were to have a straight night where you forced them all, to, I don't even think straight guys get a flag, but it, you know, let's say that we had one, and you force it, it would be so bigoted. But they say, no, we're the people of tolerance, so you must wear this jersey. And this guy did exactly what Christians are supposed to do. Christians are not supposed to stand up and say, you are you know, an ugly, gross human being, and we hate you, and you're disgusting. He didn't say any of that. All he said was, this goes against my personal morality, and so I'm not going to wear the jersey. Uh, with all respect, I'm not going to wear the jersey. What a measured response. Well, you know what happened? Complete and total outrage. I, you guys should YouTube this. Uh, you can YouTube the, uh, the sports commentators talking about this. There's a couple guys who lost their mind. There's a guy yelling about how tolerant he is, and he says, I believe the NHL should fine him a million dollars. Like, oh, that sounds really tolerant, you know? Uh, and then another guy said, no, that's not enough. He needs to go back to Russia. If he doesn't agree with what we're saying, he has, he has to leave the NHL and go back to his home country. Friends, we live in the land of oh no. And what you need to understand is they don't have truth on their side. They don't have logic on their side. You can't win an argument with them because all they're going to do is yell louder and louder. 
But friends, if you want to think critically, here's, here's one of the ways that you can know if a truth is true or not. Uh, it helps me all the time when I think about, huh, is that really true? Uh, you could play it all the way out. You know, like if you keep going down this road, where is it going to end? Because when you look at where it's going to end, you'll either find uh, order and you'll find peace, you'll find Christ, or you'll find complete chaos. I uh, heard a story this week in the Atlantic. I read it. And uh, it was about a guy who uh, wants to be a girl, so he had gender reassignment surgery. And he said that this opened up a whole new possibility to him. And he realized that he, I'm not even kidding, he, he, it wasn't just his gender that was wrong. He also identified as an amputee. And so he had a doctor cut off both of his legs. And here was this man, and he's sitting there with two stubs, happy as ever. But he said, I finally feel fulfilled and complete. Play this logic out, friends. If he keeps going down this rate, he's going to have nothing left. He's going to be cut to pieces, literally. Is that Christ or is that chaos? All you got to do is think about it. If we play this out, another way to think about it is what I call the universal principle. If everybody did this, would our society be better or worse? Uh, so like when you think about the, the current kind of culture of uh, how we're supposed to treat women and marriage, uh, and this is on the right and the left, if, like, if the, the younger version of the, the political right and the younger version of the political left are a lot closer than what you might think. Um, but uh, if, if we're really supposed to see children as a burden, in fact, I saw a study, it used to be when, you, when they asked parents what they wanted for their children, uh, up to 78% of parents would say the thing they wanted most for their children was a family. They wanted them to, to carry the, the line on and to be a mom or to be a dad. Well, since 1970, it's went from like 70-something percent to, in 2023, now what most parents want, 72% of parents, they want their children to be happy. And only 21% of parents see it as their kids having a family as a good thing or something that they would aspire for their children to have. That's a very short amount of time for everything to absolutely change. And so what happens is we have a whole generation of people being told, follow your heart, just do what makes you happy. When they completely ignore the fact that what the Bible says is that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who, who can know its ways? It is wicked. It is wretched. It will lead you into places you never thought you could end up. And, and so what, what the culture tells us to do is wait till you're 30 to get married. Wait till you're 35. Wait till you're 40. Maybe don't have kids at all. Friends, if everybody did this, if it was universal, what, what would happen to our society? It would die. Death, which is what Satan wants. Now, on the reverse, if everybody were to follow God's commands and not be in a marriage because it made them feel fuzzy and warm, but because it was a union between a man and a woman so that they might be able to raise children together in the ways of the Lord, and they were willing to sacrifice for one another in the way that Christ has sacrificed for the church, if every marriage did that, how would our world look? I think we would have a lot less mental health problems. I think we would have a lot less problems in general. You either have Christ or you have chaos. What do we have here? We have chaos. Why? Because it's built upon lies. Okay. You guys doing okay? feels pretty heavy in here. I, uh, I'm leaving town after this, so I don't really care what I say. <laughs> oh, man. It's important to remember 1 Peter 4, uh, 3 through 5. It says, they slander us for the reason, this reason alone. It's because we won't join them in their sin. And they feel convicted by looking at our lives. But Peter ends with this encouragement. Verse 5, it says, Remember that they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Just remember when Geshem, when the CDC, when your favorite Hollywood actor, when whoever it is is saying something, well, even, even you know, the, the American Health Society says that this is true. Just remember, I don't give a damn what they say. I only care about what God says in His Word. 
And if you are offended that I just said damn from the pulpit in that sense, you're not going to survive in the world that is coming. Because damn should not offend you near as much as the mutilation of children and the complete disregard for the word of God. And on the day of judgment, it will not be a pleasant day for you. Verses 10 through 14. Uh, wow, notes are very helpful to have. Verse 10 through 14. Uh, the religious professionals get involved. Yeah, the, re- the religious guys. Did you see this? The prophets, the nobles are getting involved. They are hired by the enemies to trap Nehemiah, and they attempt to get him to unlawfully enter the temple. He is able to see through them and stays focused on the task at hand. Friends, in, in the hostile world, we must understand that we cannot both have prophets and power. And by prophets, I mean P-R-O-F-I-T-S, money and power. You'll have to give up one or the other. In a positive world, you can. When everybody loves the gospel, when there's flourishing because of the gospel, because that's what always happens when the gospel takes root, there's flourishing. Uh, and, and people like hearing what the pastor has to say and the churches are full. Uh, you could make a pretty decent living being a pastor saying the kind of things I'm saying. But as the world grows more and more hostile, can you begin to see why it's uh, probably not going to be great for my bank account to say these kind of things as the world continues to move the way it is? I mean, people get literally violent over some of the things that I am saying to you right now. And what we have to decide as a church family, what you have to decide as a person, what I have to decide, especially as a pastor who stands up here, is do I want the power of God or do I want prophets? Do I want to trust in the ways of this world or do I want to trust in the ways of God? There's something very interesting going on right now in the Methodist denomination where they are uh, completely splitting because they want to ordain uh, transgender pastors and homosexual pastors. They, they want to, to ordain them to ministry. And they had this big vote, and they thought, we're so loving and, equal, and so much equality amongst us, it'll be great. Uh, and the, the African churches showed up to their meeting and actually voted down uh, all of these things that the, the American enlightened Methodist church was trying to force down the throats of people. Uh, and so there's this huge split where a lot of Methodist churches are splitting off because of this. But there's also at the same time something going on at a conservative Methodist seminary that is amazing. I don't know if you guys have seen this. You probably haven't because the news doesn't talk about this kind of stuff. But for the last two weeks, I believe it's still going on, there's been a revival going on at the Ashbury Seminary. Now, it's not a revival that was planned. They had a normal chapel service and the Holy Spirit broke out and the kids literally have not left. They've been in prayer and worship for two weeks straight. I mean, getting up one hour for 21 days of prayer in January was a struggle for some of us. And here are these college students who literally have not stopped praying and seeking the Lord for two weeks straight. Their breath probably smells terrible because they're still there. And you know what's interesting about this Methodist seminary? It's one of the few conservative Methodist seminaries in the entire country. It's one of the very few. They're, they're one of the ones that didn't branch off. Why? Because you can have the power of God or you can have the prophets. You can have the praise of man or you can have the praise of God. And we have to choose which side do we want to be on? Which side do we want to be on? I want to be on the side of the power of God because you know what? At the end of it all, guess what's going to show up? God and his kingdom. And I'll be on the right side of that. I don't care about being on the right side of history as you know the, the news outlets will tell me I need to be. I want to be on the right side of history according to what God says. And friends, I hope that you want the same. I hope that you choose God's power. Now, with that being said, in this new world, we have to begin to expect that people with religious titles will tell you things that you want to hear. You will always find a pastor who can tell you what you want to hear. That's exactly what Paul says uh, in 2 Timothy 4.3. He says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. Some of you right now, you're like, man, if I could get up and leave, I would. Because you don't like what I'm saying. It makes you uncomfortable. And I understand that. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Friends, this is very dangerous. And I'm telling you this because I love you for your own soul. 
You can find somebody who will make you feel comfortable about your sin, whatever it is. And there are plenty of sins. I've just talked about some of the big cultural ones. But, but there are a lot of sins. And you can find somebody who will tell you, you don't really need to trust in the lordship of Jesus on that. Jesus is all about love and kindness. Apostle Paul says, those people, you should expect them. But they will lead you to your destruction. I don't want, want my life built upon what I want to hear. I want my life built upon what God says is the truth. Uh, verses 15 through 16. I've got to go at a, at a much faster pace than I am right now. Uh, the wall is, is completed. Uh, Nehemiah faced setback after setback, and yet what happens in the end? God is successful. This is why Peter in the New Testament tells us of living in a hostile world. 1 Peter 2.12 Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good, look, good works. Good looks. <laughs> that doesn't happen for me very often. Observe, observe your good works, and will glorify God on the day He visits. We just keep doing good, and the day will come in which people will glorify God. They'll see it all for what it is. They'll see the lie for what it is. In the end, truth wins. Lie only, uh, lie only works for a little while. If you've ever been here, and I know you have, uh, you, you've tried to spread a lie out. It starts as a white lie, and you keep stretching the lie. You keep stretching the lie. You keep stretching the lie. Eventually, it breaks, does it not? But you know what never breaks? The truth. And what we have is we have truth. And it might be 100 years. It might be 200 years. It might be 3,000 years. I don't know. But in the end, guess what will win? The truth of God. So we just keep doing what we're supposed to do. In verses 17 through 19, we, we get insight into the reason for the nobles' poor behavior. And that's because uh, you know, they, they married these foreign women that they were not supposed to marry. These people who were against what God said. Now, I told you that kind of the, you know, the, the main point here was don't marry a loser. I was only kind of kidding. Uh, you, you really ought not do that. But you also ought to be careful who you surround yourself with. In friendships, who you surround yourself with, like who you work for. All of these things become increasingly more important. Who am I committed to? I want to be committed to people who are moving the same way I am and following Jesus. Okay, number, uh, number chapter 7, uh, we see Nehemiah leave his brother and a man named Hananiah in charge of Jerusalem. And the reason for this is because they feared God and they had great faith. And this, my friends, is a great picture. And if the band, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, I'm going to land, the, I'm going to land this plane. Uh, this is a great picture of what Jesus Christ does with his church. Nehemiah is uh, a picture of Jesus. Nehemiah finishes the work. But at the end of it, the work's not finished. Nehemiah's got to go back to Babylon. He's got to go to the king. The king only gave him time to go build this wall, and then he said, I want you to come back to me. So Nehemiah goes back to the king, and what does he do? He leaves these two people in charge. Friends, this is exactly what Jesus Christ does. He comes, and he does all of the work that we cannot do. He's the one who comes, and if you think the slandering that you get for being a Christian is bad, you should have seen Jesus, because they killed him for it. They literally put a crown of thorns on his head, they drove nails through his wrist and his feet, and he bled and he died. And he died not because they, that he couldn't stop it, but because he wouldn't stop it. Because he was accomplishing more than what they could even see. He was defeating the devil right there on the cross, getting all authority back to himself. And he was paying the penalty for the sins that you and I have committed and we will commit in the future. He is completing the work. And then on the third day, he rose again, proving he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he did. He's the only person in the history of the world to raise themselves from the dead. So you want to know, should I, should I follow what Taylor Swift says or what Jesus says? I'm going to go with the guy who rose from the dead. And I think that maybe you should also. This is exactly what he does. He completes the work. It's over, right? No, it's not over. He has to go back to the king. He ascends to the right hand of the father. And I love Acts uh, 1, 10, and 11. It, it's almost, it almost makes me laugh. It's just the way I read the Bible. Uh, but it's this picture of Jesus' ascension. Jesus, after he rose again, he spent about 40 days with his disciples. And then he went to the right hand of the father. And we get a picture of what that looked like in Acts chapter 1. It says, while he was going away, they were grazing, gazing, man, my words are off. They were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. 
They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. In other words, they're standing there and they're watching and Jesus begins to ascend into heaven. He's, he's going away and they're just sitting there gazing like, oh man, that was cool. I've never seen that before. Have you, Peter? No, I've never seen that either. And then these angels show up and they're like, guys, what are you doing? Quit looking up at the heavens. Get to work. He has given you a job to do. And friends, that job is still going on for his church. We are to be faithful people. We are still working for the kingdom of God, moving it forward. Even though it doesn't look like it to our eyes, the kingdom of God is moving forward. And the way that it is moving forward is through you and I. And our master is going to return, just like Nehemiah is going to return. He's going to find out what these guys have done. Our master is going to return. And what you want is you want him to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You don't want him to look at you and say, it's a shame that you feared man more than you feared me. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much. For these hard words. Lord, I I do not enjoy preaching these words. I do not enjoy standing up here and saying these things that I know people hate to hear. But God, I'm a bad pastor if I don't preach them. I'm a bad pastor if I don't say what it is. And God, I want to be, I so desperately want to be a man who relies upon your power. Who fears you more than I fear men. And God, I want that for everybody sitting in this room. But Lord, I know the only way that that is possible is if you give us the power to do it. It's too hard. We can't do it on our own. But God, you can give us faith. You can give us power. And so God, we ask for that. We ask for that same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus, that he might be with us. And we thank you, God, that we know that he is. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Friends, if you would take uh, about 10 seconds, eyes closed, head bowed, and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, I pray that you'd give us the power to obey what you've called us to do. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Uh, At this time, my ushers would go ahead and come forward. We end uh, every uh, week the same way we respond. I preached God's words to you, and so now you respond. Uh, That's what we are supposed to do. When God speaks, we listen, and then we obey. And we obey in three ways. We obey first and foremost by giving back to God what is rightfully His. So we honor Him with our tithes and our offerings, which is what we're about to do. And while they're doing that, they're going to play music. And what I want you to do is continue to reflect upon the message and what you're called to do. Because the big thing, the big way that you respond is by walking out of here and actually living a life that God has called you to live. Don't just be hearers of the word, James says. Be doers of the word. And then finally, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing and we're going to praise God for what He's done. Because that is the rightful response to the word of God. So I'm going to pray over our offering and then you guys can uh, go ahead and start passing out the plates. Father God, thank you so much. For all that you've given us, God, we now rightfully return to you what has always been yours. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.